The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Our world is always so rush-rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for listening to my radio show. And today we have an exciting guest that is uh, Idol Walsh, and she's going to talk about Love Does Not Have to Hurt. What a title. Idol, uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Gabriella. I'm delighted to be here. And my favorite topic, I love to talk about love. <laughs> okay. Tell us a little bit how you got into this to begin with. We all want love, but how did you get into this professionally? Well, you know, I think a lot of people in this profession end up firstly hitting their own crises, coming up against their own personal and professional challenges in their lives. And for me, it was with relationships, couldn't find the right person, found the right person, couldn't make it work. I knew it was me. My part of it was me. And so I just started my own personal development work. And as I did, I just got so excited about what I was learning about love and relationships and what we don't know about it in the general public. And the more I learned, the more passionate I became about it and uh, eventually just trained to specialize in relationship counseling. But the amazing thing is we all want love. We all want it. So how come we're not good at it? Well, you know what? We all want it, and that's what keeps us going after it. And we have a yearning inside of us to connect with one other person particularly and to create some kind of a bond with them. That's what attachment is all about and feeling secure and safe. But the problem is that most people didn't grow up in a family where there was a real solid sense of that attachment and that attunement, which means if it starts to look like they're actually going to get it, they will run from it. And it's called a fear of love, the fear of intimacy, and it's a very painful conflict for us as human beings because on the one hand, we have this deep, deep, inbuilt longing for love, but we also don't know how to do it, so it scares us when we get there because it means being vulnerable, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was just what I was going to wonder. Most of the people I talked to did not grow up in a family system where everybody knew how to be vulnerable and respect that vulnerability. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's nobody's fault. It's just that nobody has learned how to do this, right? Okay, so do you think that's something that we should do in education, in, in kindergarten, literally? If, if we don't learn it from our parents, where can we learn it? Well, you know, it would be lovely if we could do that, but we can't do it overtly because what we're really talking about is adult relationships and how do adults learn to love each other okay. and overcome the deficits from their training and development as children. But what we can do is educate the educators to know what love is and how to extend love to the children in the class and to really nurture the spirit of a child rather than focusing on the behaviors. 
I mean, this mm-hmm. is a really huge part of it. I mean, when couples come to me or even singles who have uh, struggles with relationships, really, they start talking about the other person's behavior. And to me, that's the story. That's just the content. It's not really the process or the dynamic. And that's what really, people really need to understand. We have to get away from the behavior and the story and get into what is really happening between these two people. Okay. I, I always wonder if expectations aren't part of the crisis mode in relationships. We all have an expectation of the other person, correct? Absolutely. Yes, we do. And How can we have a relationship without it? Well, you see, the thing is what we do is we put our expectations on the other person, but really what we need to be doing is focusing on self. What expectations have I got of the other person that I'm not actually living up to in my own life? Mm-hmm. So we project our unfinished business and our deepest desires onto the other person and then expect them to meet those desires instead of really working on ourselves and really fulfilling ourselves and walk in the walk. You know, I mean, I know lots of people who say, well, he or she doesn't express their feelings or he or she doesn't do what I ask them to do. And then when I question them, I say, well, how are you expressing your feelings? And I discover they're not really expressing their feelings at all. They think they are, but they're not. So really, the only way you can really set up good parameters in a relationship, good boundaries, good guidelines and principles, is if the person who wants those things in the relationship is actually doing it themselves. That's where you start, always. And that's why individual personal development work is is as important. And I'll tell you, Gabriella, when I'm working with couples particularly, really what I'm working with is each person's individual development and how they're doing that in the in, in the presence of the other person. Yeah. That's really what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but it's amazing that that the part of salt that you just said is the hardest part to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to look within yourself and say, okay, what is it that I want and what is it that I need? Yeah, and again, you know, that comes back to, you know, how we're all raised, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, there's lots of trauma in their childhood. There's neglect. There may be abuse, addiction. And even if they come from a very privileged childhood, it doesn't mean that it's going to um, be a healthy emotional environment, right? And so mm-hmm. we, we may learn to be able to say, I want this thing or that thing or I need that thing or that thing. But what we don't learn to say is, I want to be held, I want to be accepted, I want to be loved, I need a hug, I need you to listen to me, can you please just let me be who I am today, right? And we don't encourage that in our kids, mostly because parents haven't done the work themselves. And again, Mm -hmm. it comes back to that being vulnerable. It's very vulnerable to stand in front of your partner, look them in the eyes and say, I want to know if I have any value in the world. Will you help me find out if that's the case? You know, I mean... Because we have to then admit that we actually suspect we don't have value. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest part to get to is the core beliefs that we have that are so buried so far deep down underneath all of our behaviors that keep us from being vulnerable. So why do we have such a hard time being vulnerable? Is it because, again, uh, the Western world doesn't teach it or doesn't okay it, I would almost actually say? Yeah, well, I mean, our deepest fear is that we're vulnerable, somebody's going to hurt us, right? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you take it back to the days of the caveman, right? If the caveman Mm -hmm. walks out of the cave without looking around to see if there's anything out there that's going to get him, well, chances are something out there is waiting and is going to get him, right? So the saber-toothed tiger is waiting from outside the cave. 
So he's not just going to walk out without checking his environment and bringing his spear or whatever weapons he has. So that's the old brain that we used to have back then. But we've developed other brains since that time. But we still react as if we're going to be in danger. It's a very old human reptile brain instinct. How do I keep myself safe? And one of the things about growing up and not learning vulnerability when we grow up is that you don't learn then that it's safe to be vulnerable. And so a lot of us walk around feeling very defended about being vulnerable, and we're afraid to let our defenses down and let somebody in, even though we long for it so badly, right? So we we walk around with our defenses up all the time. And, um, you know, I know for me, you know, when I was growing up, that one of the things that my brothers and sisters, we all did this with each other, was if anybody was vulnerable, we'd ridicule them or make fun of them or, or you know, judge them for it. And we didn't mean to. We just didn't know any different, you know. But a lot of people react to somebody else's vulnerability with defensiveness themselves because it feels so threatening to be vulnerable. But action reaction is always when you yourself don't feel good about who you are or no? Or do exactly. I see that something wrong? Because if exactly. I feel good and, you know, if we have a good day, then... My goodness, the whole world around you just smiles, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and that's taking it back to the self again, Gabriella, right? That I have to be okay in my skin. I Like a lot of people, um, and our society certainly endorses this, we're led to believe that love, meaning romantic love, is going to make us happy. It's going to solve all our problems if we just find the one and they have the right things on the profile list that we've created. And then we could just stop growing ourselves and just be taken care of. And the problem with that is that's a parental paradigm. It's like I'm going to go try to find a little parent out there somewhere who's going to feed me, clothe me, and give me financial security. And, you know, that works in the beginning of a relationship because everybody's so in love and there's so much chemistry. And the whole point is to sort of become symbiotic, to become one person initially, to form the attachment bond. But after a while, that grows pretty thin and everybody has to start looking at themselves and thinking about, how am I going to make myself happy? You know, I say this, and I've heard Eckhart Tolle has said it, and I've heard it in The Course in Miracles as well, that the purpose of a relationship is not to make us happy. The purpose of a relationship is to make us grow and then heal the mistaken beliefs we have about ourselves. And it's about a completion, no? Of two people together. Would you say one can complete the other? Absolutely not. And this is, again, another uh, romantic myth. I don't know if you remember the, the movie Jerry Maguire. Yeah, I do. <laughs> that where he says, you complete me. Yeah. And we, and we all love that. Like, don't we all want that? And at the same time, the idea is that each person, when a couple comes up against their difficulties, when they come up against their challenges, and even singles, when a relationship that they hoped would last ends and they're heartbroken, the pain that we experience during those difficulties is the universe's way of saying, okay, now let's do some work on self. The point being, yeah. we need to complete self. You can't, two halves in a relationship will not make a whole. What you get is two halves, right? And what you do yeah. is you work on self to become as whole as is possible while you're still human in a body on this planet and bring that desire to be even more whole with self to the relationship. And what you do have we, I, I'm going to throw this question out there. While listening to you, I was wondering, and maybe the listeners are wondering about this too, would um, the moment that you actually think you love someone do we choose one? Do we choose our partners for all the wrong reasons? No, I don't Is think that's so. one of the problems. 
No, I think everybody chooses their partners based on, it's more like energetic, it's more like inside of self. There is a deep longing to heal the part of self that is damaged or hurt or wounded. Okay. And we choose somebody unconsciously who is going to make us feel safe and loved initially, but eventually, when the honeymoon period is over, because it does end and it's supposed to end, when that period is over, they're going to trigger what is unfinished business in us, and then we're going to be forced to work on ourselves. But unfortunately, a lot of people leave a relationship when that happens because they think it means they're incompatible or it's not going to work. And that's why I'm here to say that love does not have to hurt. If you understand the purpose of the relationship, if you understand how a relationship is supposed to develop, you will understand that when you get to the part where it's hard, it means you're, it's time to roll up your sleeves and get some help, but you can move through it. And I've seen tons of couples move through this um, this difficult phase in relationship and on to the more rewarding phases of a, an emotionally mature relationship with their partner. How does a relationship have to work? Can you, can you tell us that a little bit more? Absolutely. Can you go deeper into that? Absolutely. Well, you know... Because we don't really know, honestly. I know. I didn't know either, Gabriella, right? I had to go <laughs> train and find this out, trust me. So I'm happy to share it with the world, you know. Relationship development is very much like a baby is born, it's sort of a little bit dependent, it's quite a regressive phase, they don't know how to do anything for themselves, they just want to bond with the mother, and then they start to differentiate from the mother when they get a little bit older, and they realize that they're different from mom, and then they start practicing their differentiation, like I like my independence, and then they come close to the parent and go away, and then the two of them actually have a developed relationship where they know they're separate people, but they can respect each other's differences. Well, mm-hmm. couples' developmental stages are exactly the same, right? Think about it. You know, when you fall in love with somebody, you go for a candlelit dinners and romantic walks, and you gaze into each other's eyes, and you hold hands, and you touch each other, and you want to be with them all the time. That's exactly like the bonding phase of the baby with the mother, right? Mm-hmm. Then the next phase is, do you remember that movie, The War of the Roses, with um, Michael yes. Douglas? Okay, do you remember the moment yeah. where they're sitting at the dinner table with all their guests, and one of them yeah. does something, and the other one goes, oh, my God, and that was the beginning of the end. What they saw, that was the beginning of the next phase, differentiation. They saw that the other person now was different than them, and they didn't know how to handle it. And that's where people True. get stuck, so that's differentiation. But again, if you can accept the other person, if you can express your triggers and work on your triggers and talk to the other person about how you're feeling without trying to dominate, control, or change the other person, then you begin the process of separating out emotionally what's mine and what's the other person's. And then you move on to practicing and liking your independence, developing a strong personal identity apart from the relationship, apart from the other person, enjoying your separate career, hobby, volunteering, community involvement, interests, having separate friendships, and you're consolidating your self-esteem at that point. So it's not like we're just distant and not connecting with each other. There is connecting work to be done during that practicing phase, but each person is taking 100% responsibility for their 50% of the relationship. The and danger they, of, of, of that differentiation is that someone goes the other way, right? No? Um, no, because, and this is why you need professional help with moving from, okay. moving into the differentiation phase, because people can do what they think is pseudo-differentiation. They're like, I'm doing my own thing. I don't need to talk to you about it. I'm just going to go do my own thing. And really, that's not, that's not differentiation. That's pseudo-independence and pseudo-differentiation, and that's really the fear of intimacy as well. 
And in a relationship when the two people are in it and they're both stuck in their own stuff, they're not going to know the difference between those two ways of looking at differentiation. Only a trained professional from outside would be able to see that and call them on it and bring them back in. And the reason people try to escape from differentiation is because it's hard work and it's scary, but it is so rewarding because it builds incredible self-esteem and self-confidence in the person. Yeah, I can imagine that. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. Absolutely. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv all around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Green Living Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to might radio do you have a question or comment for our show perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness please send an email to gabriella von ray at gmail.com that's g-a-b-r-i-e-l-l-a-v-a-n-r-i-j at gmail.com now back to might radio with gabriella von ray Uh, hi, we're back with the um, with the show, and for the people that are just listening in, with we're with Edel Walsh, who and the subject is love does not have to hurt. It was really interesting what you were saying earlier about the fear of intimacy. But a question that I have burning for you, and hopefully for the listeners too, is: Do we actually know what love is? Oh, yeah, that's really the bottom line, isn't it? <laughs> I, I don't think we do, to be perfectly honest Or at with least you. the word love, it's used so much, mm-hmm. you know, in our language. And I always really wonder if if that person really realizes what they're saying to the other person and the expectations that come with the word. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're bang on, Gabrielle, right? Like, I mean, the word has become so passe. We use it. I love chocolate. I love ice cream. I love the sunshine. Like, you know, I mean, what does it mean to really love another person and to really respect and be curious about another person and have compassion for them and understand who they are and to, to acknowledge their differences and to be okay about their differences? Well, very hard to do that if you don't know how to do that for yourself, right? And and so a huge part of the work of, of emotional maturity and growing into a, an adult human being 
emotionally is about learning to have a relationship with oneself as well. And it doesn't mean it has to be exclusive. I don't have to break up with my partner and go off on my little journey and find out about who I am. I can do that in the context of a relationship. In fact, a relationship is the crucible in which two people can come to know and love themselves equally and love the other as well. But I agree, we don't really know what love is. There are so many expectations out there in society. And, and, and think about every song that you hear. I want you, I need you, you complete me, you, I, I can't live without you, stay with me, I'm nothing if I'm not with you, right? You know, we hear all yep. of these lyrics, and our young girls yep. are learning all of this listening to the pop stars, right? And the young men are hearing that, yeah, they're supposed to be the strong, silent type and just provide for and take care of the little girl who can't complete herself, right? And so, you know, love is an action word. It's not passive. It's not, I say I love you and you're going to complete me. Love is, how am I loving myself? What am I doing today that is a demonstration of how I love myself, how I can be with myself, how I can tolerate my own anxiety about being alone if I am alone or about being in relationship if I am in relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a lot to learn about love. An awful lot. But I also find that, you know, I see a lot of people 50 and above that happen to become what I call roommates. Mm -hmm. They they live with each other. They've been married out of high school or college. They've been forever together. And I admire that, by the way. I really do. Mm-hmm. And and there's a common bond with the children and a common respect, mm-hmm. but there's not a flicker, a, a little light anywhere in that tunnel. Yeah, of love, no passion, right? Yes, yeah. and and when I see that, I I almost don't understand why they stay together. Right. Well, I mean, it does bring up the whole question of what is marriage for? I mean, it's a man-made institution, right? Like, what is it for? And I think, I mean, the history of marriage is quite simply that there had to be legal um, dealings around property and who's responsible for what, and there were dowries and all that kind of stuff, which meant that a couple would be bonded together throughout the raising of the children. So, like, you know, animals come together and raise their young, and when they're done, they either... Some of the, some species stay together, some move apart. Some move apart right after impregnation, right? You know, mm-hmm. so it's just a man-made institution to sort of try to guarantee that there's going to be some kind of structure in society, that there's going to be support and help for people raising children, that they're not going to be doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. And there is a question about whether or not it's a preference. Like, it's a preference once your children are raised, if you want to stay together or not. But most people, when they've been through the 20 years it takes to raise their young, really would love to stay with their partner as long as it's not a difficult, abusive, painful, or hurtful relationship. And if it's just a case, as you say, with the people that you know, for example, that the passion is gone, there's no particular excitement in the relationship, that doesn't mean the relationship is dead. It just means that they need to reignite the passion. And that can be a scary thing as well. If you haven't had sex for a number of years or if you've had very rudimentary sex or if you don't haven't held hands for years and if you've been busy and preoccupied with kids and careers and tasks and homes and mortgages and finances, very hard to have anything left over for a relationship. But the deal is, you know, if you want to rebuild your relationship, you have to do things that are going to take you out of your comfort zone. And I don't know, have you seen the, the recent movie that came out called Hope Springs? With Meryl Streep? No, I did not. Okay, excellent example of what you're talking about, where Tommy Lee Jones and Meryl Streep are married, and they've been married for many years. Oh, that one. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. So, and great movie. And he went out of his comfort zone totally. Absolutely. And he had to. And she had to, too, because she had to say to him, I'm going on this week-long therapy workshop whether you're coming or not. 
And that was her stepping up to the plate and speaking up after years, maybe even decades, of never speaking up and saying, this is not okay with me. I want something more, something mm-hmm. different, something better. But then we come back to the word communication. How many people go to bed angry with each other or irritated? Uh, it's, it's something that I always advocate is don't be careless with each other because the moment you don't communicate, it builds up and it builds up, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. What we don't express becomes like a time bomb, right? Yeah. But here's the difficulty. Like, you know, there's been a lot of focus on feelings and expressing feelings over the last 20 or 30 years, and I think this okay. is a wonderful um, movement forward for us in terms of relationships in our world in general. But I find that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it looks like or sounds like to express feelings. I hear a lot of people saying, I feel that you never take care of me, right? And when I'm saying mm-hmm. I feel that or I feel that you, then it's no longer an expression of a feeling. Here's what it sounds like when I express a feeling. I say, I feel angry, period. End of sentence. I feel angry. I feel angry because you don't do what I want you to do. That's not expressing a feeling. That's blaming and attacking and using the expression of a feeling to get away with it, right? So I help my clients like really get very, very clean and clear and accountable about their communication so that they're no longer projecting onto the other person what is actually theirs to own. How do people get to you? Is it that they want to totally save the relationship, they want to learn about love, or they want more closeness and connection? Um, most couples generally come when they've hit a bit of a crisis or mm-hmm. there's been, like, m- many things. There could be infidelity. There might be addiction or substance misuse. There might be um, an affair, an infidelity, said that. Um, there might be a lack of connection between them. There might be fighting about chores in the house. So it seems to be about chores in the house, but it's really not about that. It's about they've hit the point where they're no longer symbiotically mashed and they're mm-hmm. in, they're in conflict now. So usually there'll be some kind of symbiosis between them. One of them will be hostile, and the other will be dependent. You know, I can't live with you, and I can't live without you. Mm-hmm. So you know, I get all kinds, and sometimes I get I get a lot of singles coming to me as well when a relationship is broken up. The heartbreak, you know, the pain is what drives yep. us to get the help, right, Gabriella? Most yep, people absolutely. things are going well. They don't think, oh, I think I'll call my counselor and see how I could do it better, right? That doesn't really happen much at all. I wish it would, because I tell you, preventative relationship counseling can save you such heartache in the end. Really, mm-hmm. it can. I agree. Yeah. But how does the other one? Well, I I feel in relationships, it's Oh, that's my experience, okay, I'm personal, is people are careless, are really yeah. careless yeah. with one another. And as you know, that's my whole theme with human kindness mm-hmm. because sometimes you see people in couples that are kinder to the guests that come to dinner than to their wives or yeah. their partners. Absolutely. And, and when Absolutely. I see that, I'm, I'm always stunned because how could you be treated like that day after day? And they don't even notice anymore. Yeah, well, you know, Gabrielle, a lot of that would go back to each of the partner's family of origin. Usually what we learned about how to be treated happens in our family of origin, and then we go out into the world with that template, that blueprint for love and treatment set in our psyche, in our minds, and we unconsciously, our sonar picks up somebody who's going to do exactly the same thing, and we won't notice it in the honeymoon phase of the relationship. Or if we okay. do and we see the red flag, we just we, we toss it aside and say, oh, I'll we deal with it. that later, right? So we're almost like monkeys. We just repeat history and not stop. 
We do. And, you know, the problem is that it has to get painful enough for us to say, there's something wrong with this picture. I think I'm going to go get some help. I mean, the worst thing we can do with our relationships is self-diagnose and self-counsel. It's not going to work. Something new has to come in from outside. Because if you think about it, each person grows up in a family system with rules and, and guidelines about how to behave that they're mostly unconscious about until they start talking about it and you ask them the right questions. So that means that they're going to unconsciously fall into the same kind of relationship. And we are pretty much doomed and predetermined to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Mm-hmm. But So something new has to come from outside, and it has to be something new that is not like, you know, like a girlfriend saying, oh, you should just dump him, or oh my God, you should get over it, or like, you know, you have to watch where you're getting your data, right? Because our friends have a vested interest in things, just like our family members do. But it has to be objective, third-party information from somebody who can see the bigger picture, because it's not just one person or the other. It's the dynamic that the two histories create together in the present. Yeah, I gave advice to my daughter when she broke up for the first time in her life and the young woman, right, to mm-hmm. not discuss it. Because one of the things that I see is that, and especially for women, we go out there to look for um, confirmation that the man that we were with is not a good person. Yeah. And and that's not really what we need. And no. I said, and, and you'll regret it later. Mm-hmm. And everyone around you loves the drama. Mm -hmm. So just pick one person that you feel really comfortable with and that you really trust Mm -hmm. to talk about the emotions. But don't go around saying God knows what words about someone that you've actually respected at one moment in time because you see this a lot. It's not only acted out on TV and reality shows, Mm -hmm. but they act it out in real too. And that was my big question. How does a couple... Um, I'm really curious about that. How does a couple in this modern time overcome infidelity situation, whether it's him or her? I I don't really Mm -hmm. have any particulars about it, but how do we overcome it? Because it's often friends that say, well, then you can't stay with them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I often feel that that is not the reason to always really go for the split. Mm -hmm. It's it's a warning, obviously, and it's not pleasant. Mm But is there a way that couples can actually overcome this? Yeah, absolutely. I've I've done a lot of work with couples in this scenario, and and I'm glad you brought it up because um, the the statistics on affairs are rising dramatically in our society, and it's not just the men, it's the women as well now. And um, so let me just address your question first about this. Um, It's entirely up to the couple. I mean, sometimes a partner is so hurt and feels so betrayed by a partner's infidelity that they're just too raw and too angry and too lacking in trust to move forward. And that is their prerogative. That is their right. It's the decision that needs to be made. However, if the partner who has um, betrayed the other partner who's had the affair can somehow be so willing to be contrite, to change, to work on the relationship and demonstrate by their actions, not just their words, that they are going to change and and be completely transparent if that's what the other partner wants about what happened, 
then they can rebuild trust and they can move forward. And, you know, it's it's a process, right? There's a process. And the person who had the affair is the one who has pretty much been in control of that phase of the relationship because they had a secret. The person who has the secret is the one who thinks they have the control. And so they have to give up a certain amount of control in the relationship. They have to allow the other partner to step up and say, I want to know what I want to know, and you have to tell me. And they, you know, there's certain behaviors they're going to have to conform with until trust is rebuilt, like, you know, be transparent about their emails and their texts and their phone calls and stuff like that, if that's what the other partner wants. But here's the thing. Relationship affairs don't happen just out of thin air. Right? No. It's not no, like there I'm isn't a good guy that. and there isn't a bad guy. <clears throat> what there is is a relationship dynamic where somebody is feeling anxious in the relationship and doesn't know it and can't say it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, my ideal view of relationship is where one person, where two people can be so transparent that one of them might even say something to the other like, oh, my God, you won't believe it today, but I actually have you thought like, oh, my God, what if I could have sex with somebody else? Like And being able to say that to the partner and the partner not freaking out and reacting mm-hmm. to it and the other person saying, it was only a thought and a past, but I just want you to know that I'm human. I'm human and I would never act on that. But we're not able to say things like that because we react so quickly and so out of proportion to things like that because our expectations are that the other person is going to make us happy and never look at another person But again. if there's relationships where there's no sexual relations, then this often happens. Well, it does often happen, and, the, and I have to go back through that with them and go back through the history and say, well, what happened to the sex? And we might find that, you know, children came along and one of the partners got too busy or too overwhelmed or too stressed, and so they weren't able to offer that particular connective action to their partner, and so the partner started to look elsewhere. But it's not all, only that. I mean, there's often a lot of alcoholism involved, uh, substance okay. abuse, secrets about finances and things like that, or there might be history. Generally, what I find is if there's affairs in a relationship, there's a history of them in the family of origin. So it might have been a parent who might have done the same thing. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and the idea that. is then that the purpose of that affair in the present day is to bring that to light and to start healing beliefs that both of them have about how relationships should go. That's actually really interesting. I didn't know that. So, mm-hmm. so it's often something that they've already seen or experienced. Seen, experienced, or suspected. Maybe it was covert in the family of origin. <laughs> Or, or one of the parents might have had leaky, flirty sexual behavior but never actually acted on it, but the message they mm-hmm. give is that it's okay to do this behavior. Yep. Right? Sure. The, yeah. the, the funny part is they don't, nobody ever wants it to happen to them. No. So the one that's doing it knows that very well, I yeah. presume. Yeah, I believe that any person who has an affair, if they could figure out a way to deal with their anxiety in the relationship without having the affair, I believe that they would do it. But for many people, they think it's their only option. I heard something really funny the other day, and I just wanted to share it with you. And if I could have found the article back, I would have sent it to you. That And and this is new to me, of course. Someone wrote somewhere an article about social media standing in the way of relationships. Is Mm -hmm. this true? Absolutely, yeah. Really? I mean, if you look at couples, they go out to dinner, and they're both sitting at the table, and each of them is looking at their phone, right? I mean, some people are oh more. Some people are more connected to their phones yeah. than they are to their partners. And if they're parents, they're now modeling that for their children. This is how not to be in relationship with the person you say you love, right? So yeah, you can't have relationships where someone watches TV and the other one is nonstop on the internet. That's not. There's nothing that connects them. Then no, there's nothing. 
And usually what's happening is somebody's becoming obsessed with a particular behavior. And, you know, being obsessed with social media is no less of an addiction than drinking or smoking or eating or gambling uh-huh. or food. Okay. It's an addiction. I, I would actually agree with that. It's an interesting thought. Let's keep that on social media for a second, but let's go to break right now, okay? Absolutely. Thank you. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A. V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Love Does Not Have to Hurt. I'm totally passionate about this subject, and so is our guest, Adol Walsh, who is the expert on that. Adol, we were just talking about social media and the mm-hmm. effects of it, and I just kind of want to quickly finish the conversation that we had before the commercial break because yeah. it's it's truly mind-boggling. I'm too old to really be part of social media <laughs> except for business. Mm-hmm. But um, I was brought up the old-fashioned way. It's unpolite to do something when you're invited by a partner for dinner. Mm-hmm. You just have the thing in your bag and you put it on vibrate. That's my bottom line about it because I wouldn't want someone else to do it. But yeah. You were saying something in the break a little bit more about social media, so please go ahead. 
Yeah, well, you know, it looks like social media is a bad thing. You know, you were talking about how you read an article and, like, you know, something to the effect of social media is destroying marriages or, you know, affecting mm-hmm. breakups and stuff like that. And again, you know, just the caution, it's not the social media itself. It's like saying alcohol destroys relationships or drugs mm-hmm. destroy relationships. Um, those are addictive behaviors that are being used by somebody who is having feelings and anxiety that they're not aware of, and this is how they act it out. But, you know, uh-huh. if you just go back to the social media, you know, because it's so prevalent nowadays, I mean, you know, alcoholism or drug abuse was something that would be, you know, minority, and minority mm-hmm. people would be doing it. But now we're seeing social media, everybody's doing it, especially in the younger generation, right? You know, okay. so um, it looks like social media is a bad thing, but it's like anything, Gabriella, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so and that was that's a direct quote from Shakespeare from 1660 right this okay. man knew something back then he knew that it's what the human being does with the activity it's not the thing itself so like okay. i mean somebody could say running 5 times a week is a very good thing because it's so healthy but it's not healthy if the person doing it has to do it if they can't not do it right okay then it becomes yeah. an addictive obsession and so it is with social media and so you know i mean i know a family where everybody in the family has an uh, a phone a smartphone and they text each other from upstairs and downstairs living room to bathroom and kitchen and so forth right you know so there is an impact on the ability to communicate and what we do when we communicate verbally with each other is we make mistakes and we create arguments and then we have to learn how to then the communications break down and then we have to learn to repair them and all of that is very cumbersome if you're trying to do it by text. So what people lack now is the ability to have those experiences where they try to communicate as best they can, and then it breaks down, and then they have to learn how to repair. And it's not that we shouldn't have breakdowns in communication. We're always going to have them. But what we need to do is learn how to repair, and you cannot really repair satisfactorily on social media or through text. Can't but we it. as parents, when, when I mean, I have a 24-year-old, and I'm already glad when she texts me because I at least know what she's up to. Mm-hmm. But texting seems to be easier for them than picking up the phone. Yeah, I mean, that's what they're used to, you know. I mean, for my parents... But they is it were... also because they don't want to talk? Would you... I don't think so. I mean, it partly has to do with the fact that it's free to text most of the time, and it costs money <laughs> to actually pick up the phone and talk, right? For We're going to make people. it cost. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's something to do with cost for the younger people, especially the teens who who don't make money, right? And, mm-hmm. and the parents, you know. So, I mean, I think that's just a function of the actual me- medium itself. But I do think that... Um, like, there's a very big difference between how we talk, the, how the younger generation talks to each other now and how we talked and how our parents talked to each other. Like, there's a huge change and shift in the cultural languages that we're using. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, they're using letters to, for whole sentences, right, you know? I find the conversation too difficult. And if I would have it with a partner, I'd be confused because I wouldn't... It's like decoding something. Mm -hmm. It is. And and a lot of it is, you know, that the the lack of language skills actually alienates us from ourselves because what happens is if we're not practicing communicating with another person about what is difficult for us to talk about, then Mm -hmm. we're not actually working through our own stuff ourselves because that's how we do it. We develop ourselves in relationship with other people, not through them, 
But in no. the process of relating with other people, we hear our thoughts out loud in our language. And, you know, language is merely a symbol. Words are symbols for thoughts that we're having in our head. And they're not always the best symbols. And if we don't have a good grasp of language, and particularly of, of an emotional vocabulary, then it becomes very difficult for us to express our feelings to other people. But I'll tell you something I've noticed about the younger generation and my own daughter, who's 13 now, okay. is that in the schools, they're doing way more talking about feelings now than they ever did when I was a child. You know, like, I hear them saying, I'm pissed off with you. Okay, well, that means I'm angry, right? You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't even have that language to say to my parent when I was nope. a child. I didn't Firstly, I wasn't allowed to say that, right, you know? But I certainly didn't have the language. I didn't even know that I was angry or that I was sad or that I was glad or mad. You know, I didn't know those things. And so I find them, in an odd way, despite the obsession with the social media, I find the younger people way more able to share about their feelings and not holding back. Now, they need some help to direct it in a healthy way and to express it in a respectful way. Again, I feel angry, period, right? But I'm not seeing that they are um, suffering hugely as a result. They're definitely communicating differently. But, you know, with regard to relationships, adults, and social media, yep. I do think that for some people, um, the obsession with the social media and their reactivity, oh, I got a text, I have to answer it right away, that instant gratification hit, um, is getting in the way of intimacy. It really is. Yep. And I never thought it's a, of it as an addiction, so you opened my eyes on that. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, it's a full-blown addiction. Absolutely. And, you yes. know, and, the, and the, the manufacturers and the designers, they know this. They know this. They make it easy to use it. And so it feeds into an addiction. It feeds into an addictive process within the individual themselves, right? Yes, true. Yeah, it does. You know? And you get, you get the picture so quickly, too. I was just thinking about the infidelity there for a second. But if you, if you think of social media, how a picture goes viral between 20 people, except the only one that didn't see it is the one that should know about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of awful, too, that way that we use social media. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's used to hurt and damage. I mean, you just look at bullying, right? And then, you know, mm-hmm. what has happened to people like Amanda Todd. And, you know, like, it just, it can be so painful. And certainly, it, it can be deadly, deadly, mm-hmm. you know. And so one of, Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead, ahead, please. Go ahead. One of the things that I just kind of want to touch on is, you know, um, I didn't grow up with Valentine's Day. Because there was none. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I grew up that I, I either love my husband or my partner all year round or nothing at all. Yeah. And because the holidays are right in front of our door, um, I, I was kind of thinking, what, what do couples go through? Because again, uh, often we feel a little bit more loving during the holidays and we sometimes buy gifts that have expectations or that we think the whole relationship is really great because, you know, one makes another one happy. And the whole fuzzy feeling of family and Christmas is there. Mm-hmm. And and I I wonder why it's there on that time, like a Valentine's Day and Christmas, and what it could be that we could give to the listeners to capture that spirit and just kind of keep that going through the year 2013. Mm. That's a very, very good question. 
Um, I think, well, these days, of course, denote specific. They have historical significance, right? And um, the point is, it's like any other day that we would celebrate, like Remembrance Day or anything like that. It's like Valentine's Day, for example, a day designated to love and to remembering what it means to love somebody. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with the day itself or the idea that we would celebrate it. It's just that we go over the top now with buying things and doing activities which often take us away from the feeling of love and mask the feelings that we need to be dealing with in order to feel the love again. So, you know, it becomes another stressor. Oh, my God, we have to book a dinner. We have to buy this. We have to get that. We have to go there, do that, see them, have that, right? You know, and it becomes a stressful time rather than, you know, what about we stay home and just absolutely look into each other's eyes for five minutes, you know, and really connect and really talk and celebrate us in a way that we can that isn't going to stress us even more. I think this whole, the focus on buying things, getting things, having things, doing things that we think is going to mean something about who we are. I'm going to be a better person if I can say I did that or got that or have that or I'm getting that. And really, what it really shows us is low self-esteem, really. That's what it's pointing to, is that I don't think I'm enough just the way I am, and I don't think you're enough even if you don't give me stuff to make me feel better than I think I am. So Valentine's Day, definitely I would suggest something like um, go do a couple's massage workshop together, something like that, where you're going to learn how to give to each other even better, or do something that is loving and kind and non-stressful for each other. But, you know, let's talk about Christmas because that one is coming up and that's pretty significant because it's more than just one day. It's a chunk of time when we all can go crazy or we can actually get sane. We can do one or the other. And again, there seems to be compulsivity and addiction around shopping and getting and buying and giving and thinking that the giving and the exchange of these things mean something about me because I'm giving it or them because they're giving it to me. And the whole point of gifts is to symbolize... um, a respect for somebody. That's the gift of it. You know, if you think about Christmas and the whole point of Christmas was, you know, the the three wise kings coming to visit the Jesus Christ who was born in the stable of Bethlehem, who was going to be some some leader in the world. I mean, they brought one gift each. That was it. Gold, frankincense, mm-hmm. and mirror. <laughs> like, you know? And they were yeah. precious. And the point was they're precious because this is how I esteem you. Mm-hmm. This is a symbol of my esteem and respect for you, which doesn't mean that we all have to go out and get very elite, expensive gifts. You know, it could be a picture that you make that says something about the person you're giving it to. Children are the best at this. They just create the best gifts for people and draw the best pictures. But, you know, there are ways to do Christmas. And, you know, it means letting go of our own addiction and our own feeling that unless I give gifts or give the right gifts or spend this much on gifts or have the gifts at the right time for the person, then it means there's something bad about me. And so we have to look at that. Again, I always say bring it back to yourself. What are you making this mean about you if you do or you don't do this? You have to ask yourself, am I any less of a loving person if I spend $5 on a gift than if I spend $105 on a gift? Or if I stand in line for three hours waiting for a gift, or if I just see something and go, oh, my God, that is so exactly the right gift for Gabriella. I am so getting it, even if it's $4, right? You know? And you see, we worry. Well, we worry about what we think other people are going to think of us. But most husbands are worried about that because they say, well, it is the perfect gift, but she won't like it. Well, that's a projection, right? Yeah. 
that's me thinking I'm reading the other person's mind. You never know when you get a gift if the other person's going to like it or not. But you see, the whole point about relationship is, am I paying attention to who this person is or am I paying attention to who I think they should be? So you know the old story of I buy a gift for somebody, but it's a gift that I would want to receive, right? You know, oh, my God, I love this. I'm going to get it for Gabriella. Well, that's a projection. What I'm supposed to do in that moment is buy that gift for myself. (laughs) That gift is for me, not for Gabriella. That that was really well said. I think a lot of people buy that way. Mm-hmm. And, and and we then think we're we're loving and kind. Yeah, but it's projection, and projection is one of the things that I work on hugely with my clients, is because most people okay. in the world are projecting any everything onto other people and not realizing it all the time. So if I think you're thinking something, then I make up a story that you actually are thinking it. But really, that thought came from my own mind. I made up mm-hmm. that thought. And unless I do a reality check with you and say, I'm thinking this, and I'm thinking that you're thinking it, but are you? Chances are, 99% of the time, that person will say, no, <laughs> you're making that up. Right? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you are making that up. And we don't want to know that we're making it up. Why? Because then we have to face the fact that we're thinking that thought about ourselves, not about the other person. Right? True. So we'll buy the gift for the other person because we like the gift, because we don't think we deserve to buy the gift for ourselves. But that's where we really need to begin. Right? Is one of the problems, and this is my last question to you, is one of the problems that we have to is that we think we're undeserving of love? Is Absolutely. Is that a, a, a big problem in relationships? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we then sort of catapult the relationship always into something negative because we think we're not up to par? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is one of the, the biggest core beliefs that I, I discover people have is that I'm not lovable, I'm not deserving, I'm not worth it. And basically what we're talking about is self-esteem and a lack of self-value. And again, this comes from how we're raised. You know, it doesn't matter even if we were given everything we needed, the best education and the toys and the trinkets and all of that. It doesn't matter about that. It's if we weren't given a sense that who we are has value just because we breathe, Gabriella. Okay. A person has value if they breathe, which means the moment we're born, we have value. But then we start okay. trying to mold and shape the behavior of our children in order to give them the message that they could be this kind of person, rather than allowing them to grow organically into who they were meant to be, which is an innocent, loving, totally worthy human being, just because they breathe. Yeah. Right? I, I agree totally with you. Yeah, and most of us don't even know that we think that negatively about ourselves, and usually we don't find out until we get sick or we're hurting. That's when we start to look at these things. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that that I connected with you instantly is that this topic, of course, is very timely, but most people only wake up one day and say, oh, but I did love you, but then it's they're in a hospital room or Mm. something kicks in and they go, oh, my gosh. I haven't been paying attention, right? Yeah. My my, my partner is sick. Yeah. And I always find, um, I, as as someone that's often in the medical world, that it's a shame when you have to live with regret. When yeah. You know, because life does happen in a blink and everything can change. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, for me, the closing that I want for people to take away is that it's not as tough as, we think it is. So we have to look in ourselves like you saying, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I'm sorry, could you say that last line again? For me, I would like to leave my listeners with with the thought that love does not have to hurt and that we work on us first. Absolutely. That's, I think, the key and communication. Yeah, you know, 
if you want to be guaranteed that love doesn't hurt, then love yourself. And if you don't know how to do that, then go talk to somebody about how you might do it because you will only extend your fear into the relationship if you're not loving yourself. And what you end up then with is something that does hurt and it's fear. But love doesn't hurt. Fear does. And then one more question. How can everyone reach you? Oh, you can you find have a me. You can find me on the Internet. It's lovedonewell.com, all one word. So www.lovedonewell.com. I'm, both my phone contact information is there and my email address. And okay. I'm located in Vancouver for in-person work, and I do Skype and phone and email counseling all over the world. Super. And on the website of Mike Radio, we have all your coordinates on there, too, and your picture for people to see. It is an amazing subject. As you know, I'm totally passionate about it, and Mm -hmm. so are you. And everyone that helps people to have a better quality of life together and alone, because both is important. Um, That's amazing, because even if um, you would go to to talk about couple counseling and learn more about love, what you learn the most about it is yourself. Absolutely. Is that correct? There is only one of us here. <laughs> There's only one of us, yeah, and you learn everything. Absolutely. And it's really worth it. Yes. And it's really worth it to put your fears aside. Yeah, and we need help with that. Like, we all have a lot of fears, but if we're not doing it on our own, then we're more courageous, right? We need support. Do you feel that, I always say that, but I'd love to hear it from an expert. Do you feel yourself that when you're fearful about something and you have these negative thoughts, I always say they come around you like a boomerang until you deal with them. You oh, absolutely. It over and over and over. Well, it's true because wherever you go, there you are. Right, Gabriella? You cannot yep. get away from yourself. So you have to yep. face yourself at some point. Sooner, but people rather than always later. think it's the other person, right? Yeah, that's projection. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I, I project my fears out of my body into somebody else, and I think I can get away with it, but you can't. We always have to come back to self. Well, I'm really glad you came on the show, and I will be uploading uh, later today or early tomorrow morning a link on your Facebook and give it to you so that you can use it uh, to have other people listen to. Fantastic. It was an absolute pleasure, Gabriella. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.